it's awesome to have you back on and we don't need to do the usual of kind of diving in too much into your history. Um, I don't know if we covered it before, but I guess we could probably start off the same way that I always do, which is to just ask, what was it that made you pick up a camera in the first place? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Um, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, especially some of your uh, guests so far, it's, it's a real pleasure to be uh, a part of that. So thank you. Camera, right. So I, I had no interest in photography until probably around about seven years ago. Um, it all started on honeymoon, me and my, my wife and, and my oldest. And we had a, a really shitty little point and click. Um, and we were just devastated with the quality of the photos. You know, our first holiday abroad with, with our oldest. Um, and we just said we were going to forego Christmas presents that year and get a, a decent camera. And, and that's really where it started. Much like any bloke, I'm obsessed with gadgets, you know, especially gadgets that you can modify, take bits off and, and kind of improve with putting different bits on it. Much like a modern DSLR or any other DSLR. And, and it kind of grew from there really just taking pictures of, of, of the family as our family grew and, and, and developed, to be honest with you, Chris. That's kind of the start. Had no interest in shooting people. I was probably quite petrified of, of shooting people, actually. The idea of taking someone's portrait terrified me. So it was very much landscapes after that. And, and from there, it, it developed once I joined a, a camera club. Um, that was where I had my first taste of, of taking someone's portrait. Yeah, I mean your um, your experience with a camera club from our conversations previously definitely sounds a lot more positive than my experience with a camera <laughs> club, <laughs> which is you know not really saying much. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I've known you now for I don't know, it feels like about five years. It definitely feels like in the last sort of eighteen months, and especially considering what the last twelve months has been like, it feels like in the last eighteen months your portraiture has just jumped like ten levels. Um, you have some images that I'm more than happy if you don't want them to put in my portfolio. What's <laughs> been you. the catalyst for that improvement? What's kind of helped you jump through the gears the way you have? Do, do you know, it's funny you say that because I, 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 I don't feel that that's happened. You know, for me, I think I reached a certain limit with um, my editing and what I was doing with a camera. Um, and I, I would say the biggest change for me is... I've not mastered photography in any way, shape or form. I've not mastered um, portraiture. I feel like every day is a learning day. I actually think that I've mastered my equipment. And, and that might sound like a really technical answer, but 18 months ago, a lot of the, th the my concentration during a shoot was making sure that my camera settings were right. You know, for example, going to a studio day or a workshop and shooting the whole day and JPEG, for example, things like <laughs> that might have been um, where my, my main sort of concentration and focus was. And I would say the biggest change for me in the last 12 to 18 months is I don't think about what my camera's doing now. I, I have every confidence that it's doing what it's supposed to do and I've set it the way I need to. Um, so it's really enabled me to focus on, I think, my consistency. I would say is probably my biggest improvement. And that's purely been enabled by knowing my kit better than I did two years ago. And is that down to primarily you not changing gear at a tremendous rate? Like obviously now we're in the age where, you know, I think Sony brings out a camera every 11 minutes, Fuji about every 14 minutes, Canon every four or five decades. Is it the case that because you've kind of stuck with the gear that you've got and you found like your rut with it, like you found your groove with it, yeah, it's absolutely. allowed you to focus more and more away from the gear? Completely. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've got my camera Nikon D810 in 
I want to say autumn 2018. So a little over two years ago. Um, and yeah, the first year was most certainly still just learning the camera, to be honest with you. Uh, and now I don't feel like I need to do that at all. Um, I don't have any intention to change the camera either. Um, it's still doing phenomenal work. Um, there may be the occasional acquisition of lenses, but I've not bought a lens in about the same amount of time, to be honest with you. So I, I, I'm quite confident with my kit and um, the only sort of major addition to my kit in the last 12 months has actually been some mobile lighting to take on location. Um, and the, the, you know, the difference of, of introducing that new feature um, to my, my workflow, I certainly noticed that in the first half a dozen shots, it, it took a while because it had disrupted my flow. Um, so the first few examples with, with that mobile light weren't my best work in any way, shape, or form. But the more confident I get with using it and you know integrating it into my workflow, I feel that I've, I've rebuilt that consistency with it. Do you feel like you're finding your voice as well in terms of like directing? Because I think that's something that takes a lot of people a really long time is to find who they are and a way to kind of project that into a shoot. Because like what you want to get from a shoot is is one thing and then your personality might lead it down a completely different route. I suffer with that tremendously, mm. especially with weddings. And it's taken me a long time to work through that. Is that something you feel like you've become more comfortable with? Definitely. In fact, it's funny you mention it. The first time I met you was one of your workshops in 2018. And the difference in me as an individual or as a photographer from that day to now is um, I don't puke when a model talks to me like that kid off South Park. So that, that's kind of like a big change. You know, the point that I met you, I'd only done probably, I think, two or three model shoots. Um, so working with yourself and, um, and the model on that day, quite honestly, I was shaking like a shitting dog. Um, and over, over the last two years, that's really kind of built up and, and my confidence talking to models, um, male and female, and offering direction has definitely changed. And even that feels like it's been a relatively recent development that I felt confident enough to have that level of input with models, um, certainly in the last 12 months, definitely. And in terms of your, I mean, I don't do gear, really. Mm. I don't really but to me, and this is kind of a, a thing I've stuck by, I, f I think, you know, I used to play a lot of guitar when I used to work in a kitchen. I work with a camera, it always the same way in, in my mind, the mentality should be, which is that I just want the equipment to get out of the way, like to be as unintrusive as possible for me to be able to do what I want to do with it, where I'm not having to faff with it. I'm not having to fuck about with um, whatever I would normally have to. I want to kind of become literate, like you were, you were kind of alluding to earlier with the gear. So I don't really talk about gear an awful lot. And it's something that there's one guy in particular that tends to message me about once a week to complain about. So this is just for him, I guess. But what is your, especially your outdoor portraits, like I'm loving your natural light portraits. What is mm. your outdoor portrait gear set up in terms of like lenses and that? I use my, my main digital body, which is a Nikon D810. And I, I only take two lenses out. So I use the, the Nikon 24 to 70 2.8. Uh, which is a really interesting one. I'll come back to that in a minute. And the uh, 85mm 1.8 by Nikon as well. Uh, they're the only ones that I, I take out on a shoot. Um, I've never needed anything else. I have got a 50mm, but I just don't find it 
as powerful actually and more recently i've been spending more time with the 2470 than i have the 85 which is a complete reversal of uh where i was again 12 months ago um i've started to experiment a little bit more with the focal length of around 35 to 40 mil uh, and i've noticed that that's made a big change in in some of my images um but it's interesting that you know as, as you and i sit here today that's the one that i've probably used most in the last uh, six months to, to a year. I remember speaking with you a year or so ago where I said I'd never really used that lens. It was very much vanilla and, and very much something that is just in the bag but collects dust mostly. And it's interesting that as I've developed and found more of a, a, a consistency, um, I'm relying on that lens a hell of a lot more. And one thing that's kind of stuck with me recently, I've done a bit of a purge on on my old hard drives and found old raw files to go through because not able to go out and shoot. And even if you were legally allowed to do it in England, the weather's not exactly wonderful right now. No, I think I actually spoke on a previous podcast about the couple of endeavors I've made into shooting over the last couple of months and they've not exactly been successful. But one <laughs> thing that kind of going through the old raw files has, has shown me is that we don't constantly improve. Like, you know, the amount of time you've been doing something is so often quoted by photographers. Like, I've been a photographer for 15 years or I've been a photographer for six years or 10 years or whatever, as if that's the, the, the barometer for how good you are. And what I've actually realized is that there was a sweet spot for me around 2017, 2016, 2017, where I'd learned enough to be literate, but I knew little enough to be dangerous. And I was doing some stuff that, my hit rate was low, but when it worked, it really worked. And something that I've kind of realized is that maybe I've plateaued a little bit over the last couple of years when it comes to portraiture, purely from being safe and taking safe shots and going down the safe route of coming out from a shoot with, you know, a guaranteed end product that is, you know, maybe in what I'm capable of a seven out of 10, whereas yeah. I should be perhaps pushing myself to shoot a lot of fours, but with the opportunity for a nine or a 10. And to sort of take that next step up, I feel like I've become too too safe. How do you how do you feel about your progress? Do you feel like you're still on the upward curve? No, I, I kind of I recognise exactly uh, what you've just described, to be honest. But I don't. I, I think I plateaued. I feel like I plateaued with my editing a while ago, and not not that's not me saying that I've I've kind of reached a level that I'm happy with with my editing. Far from it. I, I always look at my work almost curious as, as whether it's good enough. I'm, I'm my own biggest critic. I'm paranoid very much about the quality of it compared to other people. And I'm always curious, like how do people get these results that, that I consider, you know, so much more impressive than the work that I'm doing. Um, I just haven't broken through the next level yet. You know, it, there is, um, you know, you and I have touched on it previously that getting to the next level is harder. You're adding more skill into your workflow, whether it's in the actual capture of the image or the editing. And I'm just not on the next level yet. And so I'm kind of on that step, waiting for a way to get up onto the next step. I do think the consistency of my work has improved though. And I think that's enabled me to be a little bit more experimental with how I capture images. So there were you know, there's a period of of time where every image that I would have shot would have probably been a half body portrait outdoors with an 85 mil lens. Now I'm being a little bit more um, creative in terms of the angles that I use, the, the focal length. As I'm doing a lot more between 35 and 40 mil at the moment, um, and I'm 
really enjoying some of the results that I'm I'm getting with that. Um, I've started to introduce outdoor light rather than just relying on on natural light. But the hard part of that is knowing when to use it, when's appropriate, when isn't. Because you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And uh, you know, that's trying to curb your own enthusiasm and, and recognizing when that is has, has been a, a big part of the last twelve months with with my uh, images as well. But certainly from an editing point of view, I, I feel like I'm kind of stuck at the moment. There's, there's, there's the next skill level uh, up, which I'm just not there at yet. I mean, you use a phrase there, which I think is uh, really interesting, which is to kind of curb the enthusiasm. And in the past, when I've been asked questions on workshops like the one you attended or um, in general, um, mm. in conversations with friends or you know, workshop attendees or whoever, um, have been I've been asked questions about like you know potential ways to improve. I feel like one way for a lot of people is to kind of cut the emotional ties with the dead wood in a portfolio. That's a, that's a big step. Mm. It's a really hard step to take. It's something I struggle with. But the one that I get sort of the least response out of, or the least positive response out of, is when I do tell people to kind of stop enjoying photography so much. Mm. In the sense that like it's good obviously to enjoy what we do and. I'm someone that massively enjoys photography in general. As as tough as, you know, this year has been, this month has been, this week has been. I decided this week I'm going to stick a roll of HP5 in an old Canon A1 and follow my dog around shooting it at 3200 and see what that comes out like when I develop it in all different lighting conditions. So I'm someone that really does enjoy photography, but I feel like a problem for people that are sort of in in their formative years as a photographer is that they enjoy it too much. So they kind of do a bit of everything and they don't really learn to focus themselves up. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, is do you feel like the next step for you is to kind of focus up a little bit more? Absolutely. So, um, over, over the last couple of years, I've kind of done a little bit of everything and, and away from the, the portraiture and the fashion side of it, I've done the odd little bit of commercial work here and there, which has given me new skills and, and shown me uh, different ways of having to work on your feet, think quickly um, in terms of how you manage the camera, uh, especially for example, indoor events where you've got poor lighting conditions, or uh, if you're photographing, I don't know, animals for a zoo, for example, um, you know, small animals like frogs, you know, how do you, how do you get the best images from that, making sure that you have the right kit with you? But just remembering that you don't have to do that all the time. Um, I do enjoy landscapes, but if there's an opportunity to photograph anything that's different, I will always jump on it. And I think more than anything, I, for me, I think it's a case of I just kind of need to prove to myself that I can do it. And, and the biggest uh, change I would say in, in my um, portfolio is I'm not putting that in my portfolio anymore. Whereas maybe 12, 18 months ago, you would have seen everything. Uh, on there. So for, my, for example, my Instagram page would have had drag racing cars in it or aircraft or something, as well as everything else. It would just look completely jumbled up because I would just post everything. Um, and I'm a lot more selective now about, about the work that I actually share. Um, I still do the things that I enjoy, but that's for my enjoyment. And that's been the biggest kind of separation in my work in the last two years, I would say. Well, do you feel like the filtering of what you're putting out is more important. So obviously what I was kind of getting at there was um, with a lot of people that I talk to who, especially the ones that are looking to kind of take it into a career, which is an entirely different conversation in itself. Mm -hmm. But the people that want to be, you know, recognized for what they do, my, my argument is we'll stop doing so much stuff so that 
people yeah. can kind of finitely figure out what it is that you do. What you're saying is, is kind of, you can still enjoy all of those things, but maybe they just don't make publication for other people to see. And then you can just take the experience for what it is without constantly chasing attention for the work that you've done. Exactly that. So um, now you're going to see a much more focused um, delivery of work from me that is the direction that I want to take my work. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy the other things that I did loads of. I'm just not going to be splattering it all over the internet like I used to. And obviously, it wouldn't be one of my podcasts at all without some pessimism. I do like some joyful pessimism. I am very much English. And I actually thought something that would be quite interesting is to just kind of discuss some of the lessons that you learn in photography the hard way. Mm. So obviously, we're a YouTube generation. Everyone just learns everything through someone else's experience. I, I don't as much anymore, but I used to watch hours upon hours upon hours of people on uh, YouTube doing photography and then kind of use what I saw as my own experience and, and go from there, yeah. which sometimes sells you a bit short because you don't really learn the lessons the way that you should. Um, but I was wondering if there's anything in photography that you've kind of learned mid-shoot or you've had to learn the hard way, the way out of or or whatever. Yeah, so... The biggest one, I, I kind of touched on it before. I've, I've shot two shoots on JPEG instead of RAW. Um, and I still, to this day, don't know how I managed to change my camera settings without knowing from shooting RAW to JPEG. Um, the first time I did it was a massively heartbreaking experience on a portfolio builder uh, with an event that you put on about two years ago, I think. And the second one, you think once you've done it once, you learn the lesson straight away, but I managed to do it again six months later on an outdoor shoot as well. Um, you know, that's one of the things that is now the first thing I check on my camera at the start of every shoot is, is there space on the memory card? Do I have enough memory cards? And am I shooting to raw and not JPEG? Just yeah, goes without saying. Um, I've also one of the most devastating experiences I've had learning to shoot film. Uh, over the course of the last 12 months as well. I, I did a brilliant shoot. And I knew that every single shot on this 15 uh, shot roll of 645 medium format film was absolutely brilliant. And I couldn't wait to get it back from the lab. And the cut and short of it was I hadn't wound it on properly, so it didn't catch. So every shot I was taking, it was winding on and taking the shot, but it wasn't actually advancing the film. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm now a hell of a lot more cautious about loading film as well. So they're the two biggest ones that, that kind of knackered three separate shoots. They're the things that I learned the hard way that were uh, catastrophic. I think for me, the first one that I'm, I guess is the freshest right now mm. is just getting rid of shoots, raw files of shoots. I just didn't think I needed anymore. And, yeah. you know, now finding myself in a position, especially with what's going on to be like, I'd really like to have that back so I could, you know, go over the rules, give them a better idea um, and they would work quite nicely in the portfolio right now. I mean, it's not always good to kind of harp back to, you know, the glory days of photography for yourself when, you know, actually you were able to do it and you were doing half decent. But there yeah. are definitely some shoots that I've done. There's one in particular with a model that no longer works at all in, in the industry. And I absolutely love the images I got with them and they are long gone. So that's very frustrating. A couple of really hard lessons I've learned over the years, I guess the most obvious i think i've talked about it on the podcast before which wasn't particularly comfortable for me to do but uh was um a wedding shoot or uh, shooting a wedding years ago not a wedding shoot but actually shooting a wedding uh years ago when it was on a really stormy day 
down the south coast and there you know the, the the rain had passed and everything had calmed down i'm thinking like every dickhead does in tornadoes where they think <laughs> it's all done and they go outside and they get sucked up because they're in the eye of the storm i went out with the couple's rings to go <gasps> and take some really nice pictures hang on bear with me you're not allowed to laugh <laughs> just yet i went out to uh photograph the rings on these huge like uh rain soaked leaves that had a sunset behind them and the images were Really nice, really nice images on a Sigma 20 mil at 1.4. So really wide shot, but really close focusing. It's a really, I, I love the images. Um, but the problem was, like I say, it was the eye of the storm. And we basically, I think I took about 20 photos and then it just exploded with wind. And I caught one ring and uh, caught two and then couldn't see another one. And yeah, so I had to scramble to try and find this. What turned out to be the engagement ring was the one that got away, the one with the diamond, because I'm lucky. And, uh, you know, after some asshole biting trouser sort of 10 minutes, my wife actually, Jamila actually found it uh, under, under some leaves and kind of escaped it. But the bride and groom had uh, found out what had happened in the meantime. So that ended up costing me a lot of money. Um, which, you know, I wasn't sort of obligated to do, but I felt really bad that I'd given them something to worry about on their yeah. wedding day. Um, so sometimes, no matter how good you think the shot is, sometimes you do have to take safety into account, um, especially when it comes to diamonds. Um, that, was a, that was a hard lesson to learn. Oh. I'll tell you what, another one I learned years ago was to photograph people that kind of suit the style of shoot that you're doing. So if you're booking a mm. portrait shoot, if you're booking a model in for a portrait shoot, Make sure they fit the idea. I think I went through a bit of a phase of, you know, because people were available, I would shoot them. And I look back on some of the images that I took and Jesus fucking Christ, like I'm <laughs> sad the internet exists because I know that they can still be found. And as, as hard as I've tried to scrub them from the internet, they are still out there. So I think kind of going through a phase of really enjoying photography and taking some awful pictures of people that just didn't fit what I was trying to do. Yeah, just maybe just I should have been a bit more selective at the time. I've done that before. And, um, do you know, actually, every now and again, I might get one or two half decent images out of it. But more than anything, actually, I feel really bad um, on the models because, you know, you might be booking them for one type of work when they themselves are actually more renowned and more comfortable for a different type of work. And, you know, you've got to be really careful that they themselves don't feel um, like there's some sort of they're, like they're doing something wrong when actually it's me that's made the mistake because I booked them for the wrong thing. Yeah, um, and I find that it's it's much harder work to to get their confidence up. You know, I've had a, an experience on a, an event that I put on for myself and for other photographers, uh, and the model came as a recommendation. She wasn't someone that I'd worked with, but her reputation was more for figure nude kind of work rather than fashion portraiture and and to be fair to her she worked really hard and we did get some good images but there's that constant rowing it back you know just relax your pose a little bit you know we don't need to see that kind of figure stance in in this type of image and it made me very aware actually that that must have been incredibly hard for her um and and so yeah you you're quite right it's, it's important to get the right model for the right job. And it's, it's important for them as well, because more than anything, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable or, or feel that they're doing something wrong either. It's not fair on them. I mean, how do you go about dealing with that on the shoot? Because I've, I've always argued that the, like, the worst thing you can say 
when someone's trusting you with their self-esteem in front of a camera is to just tell them like mm. they're doing a bad job. You obviously can't go down that route, but yeah. you know, you've got to have, you've got to have something in the way of assertiveness so that you're not just wasting frames and building expectations that something's going to be good when it just isn't and it needs adapting. So how do you go about changing that? So hypothetical scenario, I might kind of shoot a few frames, show them the back of the camera and say, John, I really like what you're doing here. Can we just try doing this? Um, and then when they do that, if I get it right, I'll say, I'll show them the back of the camera and say, that looks absolutely brilliant. Can we keep along with that theme a little bit more and explore that a little bit more just to give them, without tearing them down, giving them a nudge, this is the direction that I want to take it. I found that that's quite effective more often than not. So it's only happened to me twice where I've booked the wrong model. 100% hit rate. I'm going <laughs> I'm going to throw out a um a really good tip that that Carl Ferris threw at me which was when I I said to him about shooting portraits of models and one of my things is is working through poses. So sometimes you take on digital you might take 30 photos over the course of that 30 photos in a set you are maneuvering them towards the one that you want. Now with yeah. film, especially medium format, you can't shoot 30 photos and then Absolutely. and then kind of throw 29 of them away to get the one that you want. I mean, you can, but fucking hell, is that an expensive endeavor? And he <laughs> said to me that the, the great thing to do, and I think he stole this from someone else, but maybe not, um, is to always have a, a camera with 35 mil on you. Mm. And then when stuff isn't quite kind of where you want it to go, you use yeah. that as your, as your work through. I'm pretty sure he even said to me about not putting film in it, which I thought was fucking hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, using like the 35 mil, because obviously in terms of the cost of the film and so on, and the amount of frames that you get, it's a lot better. I mean, I'm struggling right now with um, shooting 645, just only having 15 shots. I'm a, I'm a momentum shooter. I like to kind of work at speed and having 15 shots and then because I'm completely cack-handed and I've got arthritis, like changing up the um, the film for the next, for the like to continue it, it adds another five minutes and the momentum feels like it's lost and stuff. I know that yeah. you've made a bit of a move over the last, I don't know how long, but you've made a bit of a move towards film yeah. with your, yeah. your lovely Mamiya. So what was it that yeah. kind of spurred that on? So I'll come to that. I'll just touch on the point you made as well about doing the shoot through on 35mm that Carl mentioned. I actually do similar, but with my um, digital. So I kind of get a lot of that out of the way with digital um, so that I can kind of save some of the best work for film. But I've, I've also started to recognize that um, no matter how much I set aside half an hour or an hour before I even pick the camera up just to chat to the model and get to know them and build a bit of rapport, especially if it's someone I've not worked with before, generally speaking, my experience is, is that the first set isn't going to be the best. So the, the first set is generally a warm-up and actually it's the, the later sets where I expect to get the images that I will share and, and the ones that I will use. Very rare will I post anything from the first set on a shoot. Well, that's funny. That actually kind of matches up with um, something I saw years ago on a ProEDU tutorial with Michael Volchinovic, where he said that when he does like a model test, he'll shoot a set in whatever they're wearing when they turn up before they've had their makeup done and so on. Because it kind of relaxes them, it gets you both on the same kind of on the same tempo, the same timing in terms of expectations for the shoot. And every once in a while, it will throw up a gem of a of a wonderful portrait. But that's not the intention. Exactly that, yeah. And and I think over certainly over the last twelve months, <clears throat> I'd expect as almost like a value added thing that I should get two to three images from every set. And actually, 
accepting that I'm not going to get that from the first set and to use the, the set productively to get warmed up and to get the model confident working with me and me confident working with the model to build your communication, uh, to find a rhythm in terms of working with each other, as you said. Um, I find it a much more productive use of time to use that first set in that way. Um, and at that point, that's when I start to move on to, on to film and, and shooting more films. So. so yeah, what was it that made you make that, that right angle turn and head towards film alley? I actually wanted to shoot less images. So I would go on a shoot and I would fill three memory cards, which is just a disaster. And, you know, at the time it was very much a lack of experience. You know, I'd, I'd sit there and think I need a lack of experience. And I think a lack of confidence. I don't think I had the confidence that I would get the shot that I needed without taking lots and lots and lots and lots of images. It's that that's the fallback with digital. You, you've kind of got infinite space almost. You can get take a, as many shots as you want, and a couple of them are going to be okay. And I just found it really unproductive because once you put them onto your computer, you've got to trawl through them all, and you've got to find the keepers. And I I just wasn't confident that I was getting the best work out of myself by taking that many images and I wanted to slow it down. Now I'm not disciplined enough to limit each set to 30 images. I'm just not. Why should I need to, uh, you know, the, the reason I wanted to limit the number of shots that I was taking was not just to take less, but to be more efficient with the shots that I was taking. So, you know, shooting less, but getting more quality images. Uh, and someone suggested shooting film. So I, I started with a, a 35 millimeter camera, 36 exposures, and it did, it really did help, but it kind of became a real fascination with film. Not, I'm not going to subscribe to this film looks better or, you know, there's nothing you can do in digital that you can't do on film. I, I'm not subscribed to that kind of aesthetic argument. I just found that I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed um, the anticipation of seeing the images, you know, once they've been developed and it just snowballed. And, and from the 35 mil, I um, started using a Mamiya 645. Um, the chap that I bought it from initially talked me down from buying a Mamiya 6x7 and very kindly let me borrow a, a 645 for a whole year, which was a great experience. But again, only 15 shots really made, made sure that I had to slow down and be a lot more considered about what I was taking. You can't just snap away indiscriminately and hope that one of them's good because it's a complete waste of money. Um, and that really helped slow down my process. And, and in the space of time that I was using that, that smaller Mamiya 645, I did notice that my shot count on digital decreased rapidly. So, you know, this is going to sound really amateurish, but 18 months ago, my shot count at the end of a shoot was probably close to 1400, which is just obscene. Um, <laughs> I will, I will, be very surprised if I come away with 250 shots from a four hour shoot now. I mean, you're talking wedding numbers there really when it comes to what you were shooting before. It, it, exactly. It, I mean, it's absolutely pointless in, in many respects because I would still only edit maybe 20 shots out of all of that. Whereas now I'm getting the same 20 shots, but from a fraction of the amount of, of frames. Uh, and that was the real objective. Now, as I said, I, I know that you can be more disciplined with a digital camera. You don't need to go the long-winded process that, that I took. 
but I really got into that long-winded process because I enjoyed it. I enjoy using the cameras. I love the feel of them, the waist-level viewfinder. I like the manual feel of the crank. I enjoy it, and, and that's kind of why I've, I've stuck at it and have since upgraded from the 645, and I have since got the 6x7, which, without a shadow of a doubt, as a, as a tool to do a job, it's my favorite tool in my toolbox, without a, right. a question. We're both fans of older portraiture and and older fashion Mm -hmm. photography for sure yeah and we've been talking at length recently about like peter Lindbergh and so on just talking from the outside and obviously it's a very scary thing to to criticize because people will just immediately come back at us and our body of work but do you feel like i don't want to say something really cliche like the soul but do you feel like the energy of fashion photography and portraiture has kind of been lost in a lot of ways over the last maybe five or six years purely down to People looking Instagram. for a more and more clinical, yeah, an Instagram look, basically. Uh, yes, I do, and you know, I'm, that's not me criticising any other anyone else who's who's creating that content. I create that content. I am just as guilty, um, and it's interesting. You know, I look at people like Peter Lindbergh, and I, I, I would love to create work that has that look and feel to it. There's nothing stopping me doing that and trying and learning and practicing. But I, I, I'm just not disciplined enough. You know, no matter how much I say I'm, I'm going to do this, um, I always end up reverting back to type. And I think it's because that's what, you know, a, a limited number of people know me for. You know, that's what people approach me to, to collaborate with or, or to do shoots for. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to next year is almost being selfish, actually, and, and really making sure that if I set my mind to doing a project, I'm actually going to do it, not, not for anybody else, not for Instagram, but actually for me, because I want to develop in, into that direction. Because you, you're quite right, you know, that there's a certain aesthetic and a look and a feel that you see on social media that is so far removed from some of the photographers of the fashion photographers, especially of the 80s and 90s. For me, that's my favorite era of photography. Um, the, the likes of Herb Ritz and Peter Lindbergh, you know, the, these guys really kind of pioneered fashion photography in that era. Um, some of my favorite images are Calvin Klein ads from, from the sort of mid nineties. They're so far removed from that. And, and yet I find images of that era, completely timeless, black and white, beautiful images. Uh, whereas I think Instagram generally tends to um, chase trends. Yeah. And as I said, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Yeah, definitely about chasing trends, but it also feels like there's a clinicalness to it where it's almost a pain by numbers situation where, you know, even if you're off trend, you still have to tick certain boxes, you know, even really sort of fantastic photographers that I've spoken to, Mm. that I've spoken to over the course of this year have said to me that they won't post certain things because it's not like Insta friendly or it's not, it's not going to garner as many likes. And to be honest with you, it's a little bit of me is always, um, the kid in me is always let down a little bit by that because I want photographers or whatever, you know, whether it be musicians or whatever, to be more focused on their voice than on, you know, pleasing an audience or trying to please yeah. as many people as possible. I'd much rather, you know, something brave was being posted and, you know, maybe not getting as many of the the bots liking it, but at the same time, you know, it has more of the DNA of the photographer. I actually had someone message me one of my own images on Instagram 
saying you do realize the reason this one hasn't got as many likes as your other photos is because the person in the photo is too far away. You'll find that your close-up shots will do better. And I thought, okay, fair enough. This person's taken the time to, to give me that feedback, fair enough. But it also got me thinking, who really thinks that much about what an image looks like on Instagram? Because I, I'd, I'd never really considered in that level of detail what I was posting on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I would I would tend to agree with you, except for the fact that one thing I've learned with the podcast is the contrary: is that people seem to really think about it, and they seem to treat Instagram like a pretty big uh, factor in all of their all of their decision making. Which I find, like I said, I find it to be a little bit. Obviously, it's everyone's choice, and if I find someone and I like their work, then that factoring in shouldn't actually bother me because I've still found their work and I still enjoy it. But yeah. I just feel like I, I I just wish it wasn't a factor. I just wish it was something that people didn't take as seriously as what they do. And I know that's a selfish thing to say, but to me, and this is this is a completely unfair criticism, but to me, it feels like if you are releasing something because it's likely to garner more attention, it's yeah. not really you releasing your work. You're just exactly releasing what other people will like. Yeah. So the image that, you know, I received the feedback about, I, I posted that because I liked it. And I felt that in a series of three images, it worked quite well as a panel of three images. That that was my motivation for posting it. Um, I just found it quite cynical that that someone recognized that it didn't get as many likes. And their explanation was that it was effectively a full length and not a headshot. Which is bizarre for someone to take that much interest in someone else's work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I've got the cynicism out of me. Let's, let's turn back and make this a little bit more positive. I have to feel the quota, you know? Yeah. Obviously, right now, very uncertain times, blah, 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 the new normal, yeah. all the other bullshit cliches that everyone's been throwing around for nine months, hoping that they were wrong. But we've got an uncertain time ahead of us. But, you know, the world keeps spinning and we have to keep moving forwards. And, and mm. a lot of that is, is planning, um, especially for people that are working in creative industries or people that do creative endeavors in their free time. Um, planning what your next step is. So, you know, what do you kind of have on the horizon um, that you're hoping to achieve over the next, say, year or two years? Well, so this, I'm hoping this year will be COVID-free. Um, and there's a few things that I want to do. So we talked a little bit before about some of those great photographers of the 80s and 90s and, and some of the inspiration um, that I want to really pull upon this year. Um, one of the big things for me will be to do a, a project a coffee table book it's not anything that's that's going to be published um it's something that i'm really excited about just as a record of my own work um which will be largely black and white but i really want to try and pull upon the inspiration of people like peter Lindbergh and you know looking at more modern versions of, of that kind of work in agatha surge and really tell a story in, in black and white images that's something that i'm really passionate about doing this year um so that's that's the big thing in terms of other things this year, I, I really wanted to do more landscapes. I, I really enjoyed doing more landscapes in 2019. And this year, I'd, I'd hoped to do more. Um, but obviously, the current circumstances have, have, have put a stop to that. So that's something that I want to pick up again uh, next year. Other things that I've got going on, um, a couple of people have asked about things like workshops and tuition. I, Still undecided on that, to be honest, Chris. I don't know if I've I've got the um, knowledge to 
to share with people that would make it worthwhile for them. That's got to be an important. I appreciate the vote of confidence, dude. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, that's, that's still something that I'm, I'm kind of weighing up at the moment. I think if, if, if I feel confident enough to do it and, and enough people want it, then that's something that I'll do in the summer as well. But something else that I'm really excited about, I've been asked to work more closely with uh, an events, photography events company that do really cool fashion and uh, themed events for photographers uh, throughout the year. Um, I don't, have you ever heard of the Creativity Hub? Uh, yeah, fr- from you and a couple other people, yeah. Yeah, so um, they've really kindly asked me to um, jump in and, and do some events next year. Um, so I'll be helping host an event in May uh, down on the South Coast. Uh, more information on that's going to be out later in January. Um, but I'm really, really excited about that and hope um, that anybody listening will be able to have a look at the Creativity Hub page in January and find out more about that as well. How about you? So what have you got on for, for the year? Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm definitely hoping I can get back to shooting weddings fairly regularly because I really feel like the way weddings work and the way that I kind of take them on really helps me fine tune certain things. And I'm always kind of using it as an opportunity to spin plates and uh, work on stuff that's not quite, you know, not quite sharp enough from the last wedding or whatever. You can use it to improve your portrait work and so on. So hoping to get a bit more consistency because this year I shot 12 weddings and for most people that I know of, that seems to be fairly normal, but I was scheduled to shoot about 62 and obviously that's a huge drop off. Uh, I think fairly similarly to you, I would love to do something that kind of documents, kind of draws a line under a period of work that I've done. I'd like to shoot more film purely because I think it's exposing some of the shitness of my photography and um, I don't have anywhere to hide with it, so I have to get better. Um, So I definitely, definitely hope to do that. And, And just generally speaking, it would be nice to... I would definitely like to photograph more men. That's That was a big yeah. thing for this year. Obviously, the year's been what it has been, so I haven't had as much opportunity as I would have liked, but definitely shooting more men um, and probably branching more into photographing like actors um, and male models is, is a big deal for me as well. Do you know, it's funny you say that. I've, I've often found it more enjoyable and easier to work with male models, but it is so hard to find talented male models to work with. I don't know if it's that just me or do you have that problem as well? I think it's hard to find male models that show up. Like before you even get to the talent, just finding ones that would even turn up when they say they will. That That's usually yeah. the, the trouble. I've had probably five over the years that have not been a letdown at some point, mm-hmm. which is saying something considering yeah. I've been doing this since 2013 and, you know, worked with agencies where I've had countless letdowns of male models. One hilarious story with a, with a bellend that was on Love Island that thought he was like God's gift to everything, which I should probably, I should probably tell that story one day on the podcast because he's still fucking messaging people about me, which is quite funny. But yeah, just having the ones that actually turn up, you know, turn up with the right attitude, turn up ready to go. Um, When you do get it, when you do get to work with someone that's like a talented male model or a talented actor, it's actually just so much fun because, because you're kind of, you know, Instagram and, and weird modern feminine feminism stuff has kind of led to this weird place where it kind of a lot of the fun of photographing women has been taken away because of, you know, the, the kind of, I wouldn't say restrictions, but the, the restricted view that people have of photographing women, the restricted view that people have of retouching and so on. It makes it a sort of um, an eggshell walking exercise rather than yeah. 
always being something that's um, as much fun. And you know what? On on a weirdly pessimistic subject for me, especially, but I definitely think like over the last year and a half, two years, but definitely in the last six months, it's gone up like tenfold. Is the, the damage that things like OnlyFans have done to the photographic industry in the sense that photographers are now treated like like dogs' bodies. They're just they're. they're I, I mean, I've, a friend of mine referred to photography um, or photographers as middlemen um, now that they have an OnlyFans, which I think kind of sums up like the attitude towards photography now is that, you know, it's men with cameras that are no longer required because people can sell phone selfies. And it's like that was never the point to begin with. Do you think, do you think that's more a reflection on the individual's viewpoint or do you think that is a, a, wide, a wide, more widely held view of, of models? I think it's becoming more and more widely held. I'm not saying it's everybody because, you know, this isn't communist Russia. It's not like everything is, is nothing is ever everything, but it's definitely something that I'm seeing more and more of. I'm seeing more and more people who make their money out of the way that they look, having an issue with people paying attention to the way they look, which I find infinitely bizarre. And I spend most of my time now, especially when it comes to looking on like Instagram, I spend most of my time feeling like an alien, like I'm observing humanity for the first time. And I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on because there's so many people that do so many things that kind of contradict, you know, their position that mm. I, I find it hard to even figure out what's going on. But I definitely feel like there's an attitude towards photography and maybe it's, maybe it's an attitude that's been created by, you know, photographers of past days who weren't particularly wonderful people which is entirely possible but it definitely feels yeah. like there's a, a bit of a movement towards photographers being a, an unnecessary distraction whereas you know a great photographer a, a, an invested photographer a, an inspired photographer is is wonderful it's a great thing to see and i really like looking at other photographers work it's the whole point of the podcast is to kind of generate more buzz around that and and you know thank people for the work they do and so on i just think that generally it's undervalued I think photography is, is undervalued. I think you're quite right. I don't just think it's OnlyFans, though. I think Instagram has, has also played a part in that as well. But I also think that some of the really, really talented photographers will never struggle to find really great people to work with. You know, I, I think of some of the best photographers that I've seen, they've not got particularly big. Instagram followings and I often kind of wonder why is it that this supremely talented individual has hardly got any followers yet there are other um, photographers let's say that might regularly feature on meme pages like trendy photography memes <laughs> that have infinitely bigger followings and it doesn't take I think before you carry on out. I do just want to give a, a big shout out to trendy photography memes because that's been <laughs> a hilarious distraction this year that, that page rules <laughs> absolutely and um you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out some of those accounts, why they're bigger versus, you know, some more talented people. And, you know, I find it astonishing, you know, some of these people's Instagram pages don't actually do justice to A, how talented they are, but how big they are in the industry. And as I say, you know, I think the really talented people will will always find some really cool people to work with. And I think, you know, for me, that motivates me to stay sharp, I guess. I mean, I agree to an extent, but like, I, I think that the, the the disrespect of of photography goes a little bit beyond, you know, Instagram. I think it's just a general 
it seems to be more of a general way of thinking around the yeah around the way that images are created because it's now on a phone mm. so many people think it's so easy to do what photographers do but i had an experience last week with an agency got in, an agency i've worked with for years got in contact said they had some people they wanted me to photograph after a really laborious email chain, we finally got something sorted. Um, the model turned up. So it's a test shoot. The model turned up with nothing to wear. So I had to go out, like literally run over, go buy some stuff um, that we could use for this for this shoot. We do the shoot. I think we got some really nice images. I send the images back to the agency and I let them know that, you know, I wasn't particularly impressed by the lack of communication on their part. Mm. And their only response to me was, do I have a certain image in color? Like there was no apology for the inconvenience. There was no, there was no acknowledgement of the inconvenience. It was just what else can they get from me? And I think maybe it's just a case that I'm not a particularly respect worthy photographer, but I'm definitely seeing it with other people as well, where they're just, it doesn't feel like it's a respected industry. I think that there's too many people that have been paid for too long in, um, that really, really valuable currency here often mentioned, um, exposure. Yeah. And I think it's that it's those people that have cheapened the industry um, because people will exploit that, and they know that there is someone who will do it for nothing, effectively. Um, so when really talented photographers come along and say these are my rates, a lot of these companies will say this guy will do it for nothing, uh, and I think that is a huge part of why photographers at the moment are undervalued is because there are too many people doing it for free. Yeah. And not valuing themselves. And that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a big problem because yeah. if you, if you, I think there was a, a really good saying by Sue Bryce years ago, and I cannot remember the whole thing for the life of me. So it's like when a dad tells a joke at a party when he's, mm. you know, he's, he's halfway gone, but essentially saying that if you lower the water in the port, every boat has to come down, which, you know, yeah. if everyone's undervaluing themselves, it means that, you know, photographers that don't you know, undervalue themselves will just be ignored because, you know, ac- across the, uh, across the spectrum of photography, you'll just be seen as overpricing yourself, overvaluing yourself because so many people are selling themselves short. Completely. It's, it's a learning experience that I hope most people will, will, will learn. I certainly did. You know, I, the first commercial jobs that I did, I did for that, that famed currency exposure. And in, in, in some instances, it, it got me a foot in the door and I've been able to submit invoices since then. Um, but even when I started submitting invoices, I almost felt embarrassed to ask for what I thought I was worth. Um, and my invoices were, were quite small up until, uh, I would say, January this year. Uh, I was actually inquired for a full day rate for a particular project, a particularly big project for this organization. And I, I put in a, a much, much higher day rate. I, I thought they might say no. I was a bit nervous that they might. And they said, yes, they booked me for two days there and then. And it taught me that actually I might not see that value in, in what I do, but they clearly did that they felt it would be worth what I thought was an impossible dream. So I changed my rates from there on. Um, and I had six bookings off the back of that, which was absolutely brilliant. And then COVID brilliant. But again, you know, the, the groundwork is now there. I, I won't put my rates down again. Um, having had them there. And, you know, I think for anybody worried about giving their day rates at a certain value, don't be, you know, you, you have to see the value in your own work. Otherwise nobody else will. I think that's exactly, 
should be the message to take away from all of this. We need to give people uh, all of your links so they can go and find your work. So where's the yeah. best place for people to find you? So uh, I've got a couple of pages. I've got my um, website, which is lifelikephoto.co.uk. Um, you can also find me on Instagram with lifelikephotography underscore UK. Uh, and if anyone's interested in, in kind of following me along as I learn a bit more about film and, and how to shoot more film and uh, get into grips with this, with, with this new camera, please feel free to give me a follow there as well on AnthonyRobert82. Well, thank you very much. I just want to say something before we end which is uh, yeah. something that's been really underappreciated over the course of this year, something that's gone completely under the radar while people focus on uh, the doom and gloom of, of statistics and lockdowns and, and so on, is, is the damage that's kind of being done in terms of mental health. I think that something that's mm. really been uh, either completely ignored or misdiagnosed is, is a really impending mental health crisis that we are facing because of kids being left at home, not socialising properly people not being able to socialize properly, people feeling like they don't know where the next, you know, the next lockdown or the next big issue is coming from, um, people struggling to pay bills and so on. And just generally speaking, the negativity of the world that we've been in for the last 10 months, I'd say in England, but you know, it could be a bit longer, a bit less for, for people in other places. Supporting people through difficult times is something that A, people don't do enough and B, the ones that do don't get enough consideration and enough thanks. So for people that don't know, I'm not going to go into this because it's not in my repertoire to play my own violin, but I'm someone that suffered for years with, with crippling depression. And uh, this year has been particularly bad for me. And I actually want to say a big thank you to you because um, over the past few months, you've really um, been one of, the, one of the few people that's really stepped up, you know, checked in on me. Um, you've made sure that, you know, you were available to talk. We've had some really great Zoom chats about how stupid everyone is and sports and <laughs> you know, everything other than what everyone's talking about constantly. And uh, for anyone that is listening, I'd encourage you to be like um, uh, like Anthony and be one of those people that if you know someone um, is struggling or if there's someone out there that seems a little bit off their game, check in with them, see if they're okay, see if they want to chat. And it doesn't have to be they have to spill their guts. They don't have to lean on you like a, a de facto psychologist, but just, you know, having a chat with someone, giving someone a distraction can actually mean the world so i'd like to say a big thank you for that it's it's not been unnoticed it's not been underappreciated i promise dude it's been my absolute pleasure and it, you know more than anything i think times like these no one should ever get left behind and you know you're someone who has helped me and taught me a huge amount over the last two or three years um and yeah i'm not leaving you behind dude.